Let's get started. Uh, we are starting a new parak. Tonight we're learning Masechas Beitza Daf Lamed and Daf Lamed Aleph, Lamed Aleph. And we're starting at a fresh parak, which is Perak Hamevi. And today we're going to be discussing a lot of halachos about how one is supposed to, if at all, carry things on the holiday. Uh, this can pose a, a set of challenges in regards to the standards of Yom Tov. We're also going to come across some uh, very practical halachic sugas tonight about about clapping on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Is that allowed? That's a nice, that's a, yeah, we can get to that today. The, the backhanded clap, Rabbi Zinnis does it, that some other people do it. My Rabbeim had their own approach and then still people are more mekel. We'll see a critical toast of us tonight in this whole sugya. Uh, we will get there. And then uh, on the on the last Amad, on Daf Lamad Amad Beis, um, we will learn a little bit about the halachos of Muksa of Sukkah, even though we're in a different Masechda, but it all it all connects. So let's get started. Chavtas Amad Beis, three lines from the bottom. New parak. If a person is bringing pitchers, or let's just use our parlance, they're bringing bottles of wine from place to place. You shouldn't bring multiple bottles in one basket, or let's just use, again, our language. You can't bring a case of wine from one person's house to another. That's just not right. It doesn't look nice. Rashi, the third Rashi in the Perak, Lo Yevim Vesalva Kupa, Kupa You should not take three or four bottles and put them in a box and carry them. Why not? This is a very important uh, glimpse into what's going on in this uh, in this world here. What does Rashi say? Because it appears that you're doing weekday oriented things. So therefore you can't carry your case of wine in the way that you think you could. It's not appropriate. One should not carry it that way. Aval, what can you do back in the Mishnah? Second line from the bottom. maybe who You can carry things on your shoulders, or carry it in front of you in a way that's different than usual. And similarly, if a person is carrying uh, straw, says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, they used to carry them in a way where it would be thrown over their shoulder and they'd kind of hold it at their shoulder with the, the bulk of it hanging behind their back. Says the Gemara, that's not appropriate. You can carry it regularly, like in front of you. Uh, as we turn to the top of one is allowed to use straw to start a fire. Rashi here highlights top Rashi to start a fire. Even though you did not necessarily set this aside for that purpose. We'll understand in the Gemara why that's the case. This wasn't a place where you would normally get supply from. It implies from this line that if you're allowed to use straw for which you did not set aside use for it prior to Yom Tov, you're still allowed to do it. Why in the world would that be allowed? So says the Gemara, says Rashi on the top of that page, it implies from here that maybe that our Mishnah is of the opinion that we don't hold of Muksa like the Sheet of Rabbi Huda. Just to review, there's a, a, a lengthy uh, throughout Shas Machlokas between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Huda's Makbid on uh, Muksa. And uh, sorry, I said that this was Rabbi Huda. And this, our Mishnah fits better seemingly with Rabbi Shimon, who says that there is no Muksa throughout Shas. Okay, so we'll get into that. Aval says the Gemara, while true that you're allowed to use straw, the end of the Mishnah writes, Sheba Muksa. You're not allowed to use wood that is Sheba Muksa. What does Sheba Muksa mean? So here, it doesn't mean Sheba Muksa like the word Muksa like we use. Here, the word Sheba Muksa means that it's put in a place of Muksa. What does that mean? So Rashi over here indicates on the third line, ending the Dibur HaMaschal, Sheba Muksa. Rashi says, Rechava, it was a space, that was behind the houses, Karuya, 
Muksa. It was referred to as a muksa. It's the place where you put the wood that you're not yet using. Under my deck, I keep all of the wood that I use for sukkahs, nice and neat, sometimes, nice and neat under the deck, ready to use. So that's what we're talking about is a place that where you, where you put things to store, but it's not regularly used. So the Mishnah makes a split. Yes, you can use straw to start a fire. However, you're not allowed to use wood that was put in that rechava, in that space behind your home. And the Gemara opens, Tana, we have another uh, Tanaic source. We said in, the, in our Mishnah that, for example, when it came to kadeya into bottles of wine, that one is not supposed to carry multiples of them in one container, but rather uh, carry them in a, with a shinui. But our Gemara on the second line of Lamed Amadalov says that's only if you're able to, but if you're not able to, then it still technically is mutter. Iskin Rabba Mimachoza, Rabba said in the city of Mechoza, the Daru Bedochka Lidruba Rigla. If normally something was carried Bedochka, then it should be changed to be carried Berigla. What is this talking about? So take a look at Rashi. Rashi is about eight or nine lines down, nine lines down. Dibra Hamaschal, the Daru Rashi says, what does it mean, Bedochka, that it's uh, oppressive? Mm-hmm. A person could carry it on his shoulder. It's very heavy, but he could carry it on his shoulder. You should change the way you carry it. Instead of carrying a Bedochak on your shoulder, you should carry Berigla, which is a pitchfork. At that end of that Rashi, it says uh, Porka or Forka. It's the same language. I don't know. I guess it's a French etymology. I don't know. But that's what Rashi says. Rashi uh, lived in uh, lived in, in a French-speaking community, so that certainly was the norm there, and uh, that seems to be the language that is being used here in the law in the Loaze Rashi. Fine. So that's what uh, if you carry something on your shoulder, the Daru Beagraf. Normally, you. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. The Daru Berigla. If it was normally carried with a pitchfork, then Lidru Beagra. Then you should carry it on two poles on your shoulder. The Daru Beagra. If you normally would carry it on two poles on your shoulder, Lidru Beachba. You should carry it with two poles in your hands. The Daru Beachba. If you normally would carry it on in two poles in your hands, then Nifro Sudra Ilave. Then you should cover it with something. The Gra here on the side has different translations for many of these different things. You could take a look at the Hagos Hagra on the side for his explanation. However, Rava does add six lines down in the Gemara, the Imlo Efshar Shari. Uh, however, if it is the case that one is not able to, um, to make these Shinuyim, then it's okay. You're still allowed to carry these things exactly as they are. Why? The Amar Mar, because we have a, a Brysa. This is the Brysa that is quoted on line two. That if one is not able to create a shinui, then it is considered permissible. But the Gemara has a little bit uh, of a problem with that. Because seven lines down, the Gemara says, Amar le Rav Hanan bar Rava, le Rav Ashi. Rav Hanan bar Rava says Rav Ashi. Hang on one second. Amar Rabbanon kama de'efshar le shanuyeh, we learned that it's appropriate to create a shinui. Yet, there are plenty of women to come, it was common for them to be the ones to fill the pitchers. In my family, that's just not the case. Uh, it's not, and things have changed. But they would go to the well, whatever, wherever they were getting their water from, they'd fill the pitcher. And these were, they were malian chatzvayu, mayabiyomotaba, but mishanyan, but they did not do a shinui. But, but doesn't that break the rule? You should be doing a shinui in how you behave in public. Nobody said boo. So I don't understand. You're telling me that we should make a shinui. Yet it was commonplace and during those times that someone would go to 
to fill the pitcher of water with no shinui whatsoever. So says the Gemara, Amar Lei, the Gemara says that Ravashi responds to Rabchanan Bar Rava and says, Bishum Delo Efshar, there's no way to make a shinui in filling up the pitcher. Why not? Because Hechile Abed, what did you want the women to do? Demalia Bachatzvaraba, if they were going to be filling up a large pitcher, let's say that it held a gallon. So then Tamale Bachatzvazuta, you want them to go take a, a half gallon pitcher? That doesn't make sense. Then you're making them walk more, and that's a tirchan yom tov, and that's also not right. If you wanted it to be the opposite, they were really only filling up a half gallon, then you want them to be now they should use a huge barrel of a pitcher. Why? They should make it bigger. Now they're carrying something that's much heavier for them. What kind of shinu do you want them to do? You want them to cover it with, uh, you want them to cover it with a lid, says the Gemara, and the language here is quite difficult in learning the commentaries here. It's very hard to get the language down. Um, what I've gleaned from the notes is as follows. Zimnin, not the nafil, but the tavre. Maybe the top of it will break, and it will become muksa, and then you're not allowed to carry it. Skip down one line. Maybe we should say tifro sudra ilave. Maybe the women who are filling up the pitcher should at least cover it with some type of handkerchief, which would then be considered a shinui of some kind, says the Gemara. That itself could lead to a problem. Zimnin, at time, dimitmish, it can become saturated b'maya and that, what kind of shinui did you do? That doesn't, that's not helpful. If you're going to take one of your nice napkins and you're going to cover over a pitcher of water, and then inadvertently it's going to fall in and you're going to take it out. So that's a problem. Even if you just hold it out while it's saturated, that's a problem. The post can say that for those who allow for tea to be made on Shabbos or on Yom Tov, where everyone allows for tea to be made, that when you're taking out the bag of tea, you should do so with a spoon because the simple gravity of picking up the tea bag causes for the water to drain and there's a tension on the bag. So the post can say that might actually be a problem of schita. So the way that, that it is appropriate to remove tea on Shabbos or Yom Tov is to take a spoon and go underneath the tea bag and pick up the tea bag like that. No problem. Then go put it down on a plate. Then you don't have any problems of schita at all. So here the Gemara says that's not an appropriate shinui. You're asking this question, why didn't the women make a shinui when they filled up the pitchers? Because there's no reasonable shinui. And that's what the Gemara says. Hilkach lo efshar. And therefore you can just do it regularly. That's the din of the Bryce at the top of the page. The Bryce says on line two, and there was no reason. So you can't ask a question from there. So then the Gemara tries from another place. Tanan, we have a Mishnah. The Mishnah writes, Ein mitapchen. you're not allowed to clap. Ein you're not allowed to uh, smack your leg or your thigh, some part of your body that makes a clapping sound. Not allowed. Ein and as well, you can't dance on Yom Tov. None of these are allowed. So says the Gemara, Hi, hold on one second. We see people do this all the time. Look no further than our very base medrash. We dance, we clap, we think we clap, we think we dance. But the Gemara says that it's not allowed. It says that that's an Isra Derabanan. And the Gemara says people do it and we don't say anything to them. So now we have to see it. Absolutely critical Tosvos. Take a look at Tosvos a little bit more than halfway down. Dibur Hamaschel Tnan, Ein Metapchen Ve'ein Merakten says Rashi, what was the concern? Piresh Rashi, Shema Yataken Klishir. And here's what Tosvos says. Take a look at this Tosvos because this opens, this opens a dangerous window in Psach Halacha. Here's what Tosvos says. Umihu Lididan, for us, Shari. We are allowed to clap. We are allowed to, to hit our bodies in a way where it makes a sound and we're allowed to dance. Dadafka Biyamehen, only in their days, Shahayu Biki and Lasos Klishir, only in their days where they were real experts in clapping and real experts in making these sounds, 
Only by them. But in our generation, no need for the Gzeera. So here is the problem with this Tosvos, and it created a bit of an uproar in the later Rishonim and certainly in the, in the early Achronim. The problem is that if the Gemara makes a Gzeera, then maybe, maybe the Gemara can uproot a Gzeera. But if the Gemara makes a can Tosvos uproot a Gzeera? The Gemara says you can't clap. Tosvos says, no problem. I'm just going to qualify for you. What, what version of Judaism is this that a rabbi gets to look back at the Gemara. The Balei Atosos lived in the 1200s and the 1300s. They were Rashi's grandchildren. Rashi lived in the late 1100s. His grandkids, oh, the Gemara is not shy. We're going to make a, the Gzer doesn't apply. Really? How did that work? It's a major problem. It's a major problem. So the, a lot of the postkim don't like it. But, but what saves the day for the Balei Atosos is that we have a principle. And the principle is of Batla Taima, Batla Gzera. If a Gemara, if a gzera is presented with its concern, then if the concern falls away, then you don't need a gemara to uproot the gzera. It automatically falls away. And because, and that's why he quoted Rashi first, because um, the gemara says, Ein metabchen ve'ein meraktin, and Rashi highlights that the essence of the gzera was shema yitakein, but latayma but lagzera, because the reason doesn't apply, says Tosos, our generation, we don't know how to clap. It doesn't mean they weren't rhythmic. It just means they weren't experts in the matter. So, but the time about the Xera, because the reason fell away. So therefore there is no Xera anymore. However, when it comes to the post-Kim Lamaisa about clapping, there are uh, three prevalent shitas. And you should ask your local Orthodox rabbi. Uh, one shita is uh, that you don't clap in a normal way at all. That's why you'll see some people will, will clap in a way that looks kind of funny, uh, makes a similar sound, but it looks weird. It's a shinui and appropriately so. Look what we're talking about on our blood. Shinui, don't carry four bottles of wine. Carry, uh, don't carry the, the straw over your shoulder. Make a shinui. So make a shinui here too. It makes, makes perfect sense in the flow of our Gemara to say that. Shita number two is that clapping is perfectly motor, like Tosva says, because Tosva says we're not bikin bakach. And the middle of the road, Shita, my Rabbeim and Shalvin, when I was there, they had this approach, is that clapping is, um, you gotta like clap, like try to clap a little differently. Just a little, you, can, you don't have to do the, you just do a little differently. But for chinuch purposes, it's mutter, uh, the unbelievable heter. Because I had asked this Shaila in the context of being on a Shabbaton. I remember for Rav, uh, Rav Yaakovsen, who at the time was my Rebbe and subsequently was the Rosh Yeshiva. I don't think he is anymore. He's not anymore. But he said that was the din, that we try to avoid proper clapping. We have to ask our rabbis. But it seems from our Shul's culture that clapping is normal and routine, as is the shita of the Balei Atosos. It is my recollection that Rabbi Friedman would not clap, uh, nor would he dance. So I'm not exactly sure how he felt. I never heard him say it. I'm just gleaning from what I'm seeing. But again, this Tosvos opens up a world of challenge in regards to methodology and psak, because if you get to determine when Xer falls away, very dangerous. Anyways, back in the Gemara, sorry for the diversion. The Gemara says, we have a problem. You want to tell me that we should always do a Shinui. We see over here that they were not doing a Shinui by Ein Metabchen, by Ein Misabchen, by Ein Meraktin. So why, why is it that that's okay? So says the Gemara, Amar according to you, we have another case, which is also similar, that a person should not sit at the edge of a Mavui under a Lechi, even though under a Lechi is considered within the Mavui, because maybe something that they're holding will fall and roll outside from under the threshold of the Lechi, and then they'll end up carrying 
and skip the parentheses. There are some women who would take pails, they'd invert them. They would go sit right at the edge of the mavoi, no problem at all. Ella says the Gemara, a very important principle. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. They know what they're doing. It's, it's a mistake and they shouldn't do it. It is not our job to correct every error. Why? It is better that people remain um, guilty with a shogeg status than guilty with a mazid status. So for example, if you tell someone you're not allowed to clap, odds are they're not going to listen to you, right? So Musar should only be given when appropriate. So the Gemara says over here, leave them alone. Hachanami, just like over there by the women who are sitting right next to the lechi, Hachanami, over here by the case of clapping, so much to speak about over here. We don't have time, but that is what the Gemara concludes over here, that yes, these things should be done with Shinui. And that's why it's, it's a clear conclusion of the Gemara. These should be done with Shinui. A person should clap with a Shinui v'chulim. Says the Gemara, maybe we would have assumed that the only time we have this rule of Hanach Lehem Israel, let them make their mistakes. Don't tell them. Maybe the principle of Mutav Shushogig and Valtumazidin is only true by Dine de Rabbonon. Aval Bidar Raisalo says the Gemara Veloi, that's not correct. Loshna Bidar Raisa, Veloshna Bidar Rabbonon. It doesn't make a difference. Lo Amrina Luhubalomidi, you should say nothing. What is the Raya Ladavar? Where is our precedence in regards to a case that is de Raisa? where people make mistakes and we say nothing, says the Gemara, a crazy case. We know, and if we don't, then we're learning now, there is a din de oraisa to add a very small amount of time, just a smidge of time to the, uh, to the front side and to the back side as well, to Yom Kippur. People eat all the way up until Shkia because they want to get in every last calorie. No problem at all. Everyone is, uh, we don't say anything to them. So what do we see from there? Mutav sheyuhu shogigin v'altimazidin is not only true by dine de Rabbonon, but it's also true by dine de Raisa. Says the Gemara, four-fifths of the way down at the two dots, maschilin ba'are masatzeven. Our Mishnah really seems to talk out of both sides of its mouth. If you look at the very top line of Laman Abinal, if it says ba'are masatzeven, you're allowed to use straw. And then it says that you're not allowed to use the wood that's in the, that's in the shed. Why not? Amar of Kahana, Zosameris Matchilen, that we are allowed to begin to light this fire, that we can start with the straw that we have. Money. Who does that seem to be like? That's Rav Shimon, he the Lesley Muksa. Clearly, the, the opinion uh, when it says Aremasatevan that you can use straw, that's straw that you didn't set aside. It seems that you're allowed to use it. That seems to imply that we don't hold a muksa. That's Rav Shimon. However, Ema Seifa, you would just go just to the end of that line. And then what do we see? But if you have wood that's in the shed, so then you can't have it both ways. There's either muksa or there isn't muksa. If there is a din of muksa, if there is a din of muksa, then why are we allowed to use a straw? If there isn't a din of muksa, then why are we not allowed to use the Eitzim Sheba Muksa. doesn't make sense. And if we say, So we have a contradiction between the words in our Mishnah. So how do we explain the seeming 
uh, inherent contradiction in our Mishnah, where one line seems to support Rav Shimon's shita that there is no muksa, therefore straw is allowed to be used, and one line seems to support Rav Yehuda's shita that there is muksa by limiting etzim shevim muksa. Answers the Gemara nine lines or so from the bottom. We're dealing with cedar and expensive types of wood, and they have a halachic status of to muksa machmas chesron kis. That's why you're not allowed to handle things that are very expensive on Shabbos when they have no specific purpose for Shabbos. That doesn't mean you can't use China. It means that uh, possibly you can't pick up the Van Gogh on Shabbos. It means you can't pick up, a, I don't know, a very expensive crystal, whatever it is. Huh? Just a couple, just a couple. So it says the Gemara, it's Moksa Machmas Chesron Kis, Ve'afilu Reb Shimon Moda. Even Reb Shimon would agree that in this case, the wood that you've kept in the shed is the expensive wood. I'm sure my father knows all about this with the expensive woods that are used for challah boards. Some of them are more expensive than others. And you would probably not want to burn many of them because of their cost per square foot. So therefore, the Gemara says that our Mishnah is entirely like Rav Shimon. The first din of the Mishnah is Ba'arei Masatev, and you're allowed to use straw because there's no Isra Muksa. Aye, what about the last case? It says the Gemara. That's Rav Shimon too. Rav Shimon says you can't burn the, burn the wood in the shed because that's very expensive and it's Muksa Machmas Chesron Kis. However, there's another approach to our Mishnahs, eight lines or so from the bottom. Some say that when Rav Kahana started this last section of Gemara with the word that he was talking about the end of the Mishnah. What does the end of the Mishnah say? That you're not allowed to use the wood that's in the shed. From that part, from the latter part of the Mishnah, what do we see? That you're not allowed to... Uh, that you're not allowed to use that wood. Money, that seems to be the, the shita of Rav Yehuda, he, the Islay Muksa. That seems to be the safe of the Mishnah. If, you're, if Rav Kahana is going to say his line there, that implies that our Mishnah is like Rav Yehuda. But if our Mishnah is like Rav Yehuda, then Ema Resha, Maschil, Barim, Asatev, Asan, Rav Shimon, Muksa. Again, the same question, just the only... We're asking the same question. The only question is where Rav Kahana places his focus. And here the Gemara says, no, really, our whole Mishnah is... Like Rabbi Huda and Hasam Sarya. We're discussing Tivna Sarya, Tevin Sarya. It's spoiled, it's gross type of straw. It's, uh, and everyone would agree that that's not going to be muksa under the circumstances, even Rabbi Huda. But really, the whole Mishnah is like Rabbi Huda. So says the Gemara, wait a minute, Tivna Sarya does have another purpose, a Chazi Latina. It can be used to make mortar. Reminds me of the stories uh, in Yitzhi uh, Mitzrayim or prior to Yitzhi Mitzrayim when the Jews were told, go make yourself uh, some bricks out of whatever, a little bit of straw and some water, figure it out. So that's what the Gemara says here. I don't understand. Why would Rabbi Yehuda say that you're allowed to use this? After all, it has a, spe a specified purpose. And the Gemara says, no, it's not really fit to Ispe Kotzim. It has thorns in it. And Rashi here highlights uh, the last Rashi on the page, Dibur Hamaschal, the Ispe Kotzim. There's thorns inside the teven inside the uh, straw and ein yachol See now when we go and we see a construction site, they have these very very strong drills with a drill bit at the bottom, and they hold it above a bucket, and they can literally stir cement with this very powerful drill. What did they do? They stuck their feet inside of it and the, whatever mixture they made. But you can't do that when there are thorns in there. And therefore, it wasn't fit for Tina. It wasn't fit for mortar. And therefore, it only had one purpose, and that was to be used for the fire. So the whole Mishnah is like Rabbi Huda. So that's our machlokas here. Is this Mishnah like Rabbi Huda or is it not? This brings us to the top of Lamed, Bez, Lamed Amid Bez. Masnisa. Ain't noglin eitzimina sukkah. You're not allowed to take wood from a sukkah. Rashi highlights here that we're not talking about the holiday of sukkahs. We're talking about a hut. We'll discuss a sukkah later. Ella, 
Mina Samachla. You can't take Aitzim from a sukkah, but only from the Samachla. We don't know what Mina Samachla means. What, what does it mean close to it? On the sukkah, off the sukkah? We'll see soon. Says the Gemara, I don't understand. Maishna sukkah delo. What is the reason why we don't allow for one to take schach off of a regular uh, non sukkah hut? The answer is the Gemara, line three, de kasasar ahala, because you're taking apart, you're dismantling a sukkah, and that's not allowed. So then, then what's mina samuchla? Mina samuchla nami kasasar ahala. Whatever mina samuchla means, you're still taking something away from the sukkah. So why then would that be allowed? So line four, Amr of Yehuda Marshmuel, my samuch, samuchla defanos. This is talking about the wood that's close to the defanos. And they're kind of freestanding, these pieces of wood. They're not essential to the build. And therefore, um, the fact that they're samuch to the defanos is the defining factor. And therefore, there's nothing wrong with removing them and there's no stira. That's why our Mishnah can say that you're not allowed to take the primary wood from the sukkah, but that which is samuch to it, that which is close to the walls is allowed. But Rav Menasya Amar, he says, I don't agree with that. Even if you're taking away something else, it's going to be mutter to remove it. How so? How does he understand the Mishnah? What they're talking about is bundles. We learned about this earlier, I think in Maseches Yoma, where sometimes they would take bundles and they'd put them up on top of the, the sukkah so that they could dry out. It's elevated. There's no not as much shade there. Can't be any trees directly above at least. So it got a little bit more shade. Fine. And that's for sure motor to take down because there's no stira there. You're not breaking anything down. You're not dismantling anything. It's a bundle of hay. Says the Gemara, Tanya Rebchia Bar Yosef Kamid Rav Yochanan, Einot Len Eitzim Minas Sukkah El Minas Samachla, a direct quote from our Mishnah. The Reb Shimon Matir, Reb Shimon says that you are allowed to remove uh, wood from the tree. We'll have to discuss this. The Shavin, and they agree, this Brisa concludes, the Sukkah Sechag Bechag Shasura, that had we not been talking about a Sukkah throughout the year, but rather a Sukkah that's being used for the holiday of Sukkahs, then uh, that would be Asr. However, if one made a condition that I don't want this to become muksa, then it just depends on what your mindset was. So says the Gemara, I don't understand. In this brisa that we just saw, starting on the sixth line or so, the brisa says that Rav Shimon was matir, taking wood off of a sukkah, even essential wood. How, how are you allowed to do that? But says the Gemara, Rav Shimon matir, how can you be matir? You're, you're dismantling a sukkah. That's not right. You're not allowed to dismantle anything. That's not allowed. This says the Gemara, Amar of Nachman bar Yitzchak, what is the brisa that we learned six lines down in the name of Rav Chiyab Rav Yosef? What is that brisa talking about? Hacha b'sukkah nofeles askinan. Baruch Hashem, this was not the year of sukkah nofeles. The weather was stunning over sukkahs by and large. But here we're talking about a sukkah nofeles. Rav Shimon the Lesley Muksa. There's nothing wrong with taking it. Yeah, you can't do stira. I agree. But if the sukkah has already fallen down, I don't have to worry about the halachos of muksa, and therefore I could use it. Now, here is the, the primary marimakom. We saw this in Masecha Shabbos as well. I believe it's in Shabbos. Yes, it is. And we learned this shita hundreds of blad ago. Says the Gemara de Tanya, Mosar Hashem and Asr. The Tanakama was of the opinion that if there's extra oil after a candle extinguishes, you're not allowed to use it. However, for Reb Shimon Matir, this is the this is the Shita from where we see that Reb Shimon doesn't hold the Muksa. So the Gemara is trying to make an equation between the world of uh, extra oil, which Reb Shimon is Matir, and using the parts of a sukkah once the sukkah has blown down. But says the Gemara, one third of the way down, me dummy. How can you make the comparison within the world of Rib Shimon between a sukkah that has fallen and using its parts and extra oil? After all, Hassam, when it comes to the oil, Adam Yoshevu Mitzape, Emasat Tech 
it's inevitable. At some point, the flame is going to extinguish and there's going to be a small amount of oil left at the bottom. Can't use every ounce of oil. Okay, ours are a little bit better built. They taper at the bottom, fine. If you're lucky, it'll use all of the oil. It still doesn't do that. But if, if that's what you're waiting for, then I could understand how Rib Shimon could have in mind that when the fire goes out, I want to use it. So it's not muksa. But hacha, when we're talking about a sukkah that falls down, adam yoshevu mitzape emosai tipol sukaso. You think someone's sitting there and having my like, oh, if the sukkah falls, I, I have in mind to use its parts. Nobody thinks that way. That's not normal. So you can't compare the world uh, in regards to Rib Shimon, the world of the extra uh, oil that's in a candelabra and a sukkah that has fallen. They have totally different mindsets. No, really the cases are comparable. We are able to compare the source for Reb Shimon, that there is no muksa, which is that there's extra oil, and a sukkah that has fallen because maybe we're talking about a sukkah ru'ua, a sukkah that's very, very weak. Uh, it was made out of sticks and stones. It was going to be one that you knew was not going to last the holiday. That's a shilap, that's a kosher sukkah. Anyways, any, but in this case, it's sukkah ru'ua skina, he did have in mind, in fact, that it would fall down. We're all just about halfway down on Laman Abbez. We still got a ways to go. Let's continue. We had learned in the Bryce of that, uh, that you're not allowed, that everyone agreed that you're not allowed to benefit from a sukkah that is a, a halachic sukkah on sukkahs. But had you made a condition, that you could skirt any concerns of muksa by just having in mind that I don't want this to be muksa. But the Gemara has a very big problem with that. Are you allowed to make a condition to say that I want no part of my sukkah to be muksa? After all, how do we know that the wood that is part of a sukkah is forbidden to be used all of the chag? Because the Gemara says, That's what the Pasuk says, that the chag of uh, sukkah, it has to be for Hashem for seven days. What does he say? Omer, how do we know that just like there's a halachic status, status of sanctity of Kedusha by the Korban Chagiga, so too by the Sukkah, says the Gemara, because uh, that's what the Pasuk says, so we see from here that the wood has sanctity. So the fact that you made it tonight, that you don't want the Sukkah to be muksa, does that matter? Who cares what your feelings are? It's Kadosh. It has a Gzeira Shava. It has a Pasuk in Chumash that says that just like the Korban Chagiga has a status of Kedusha, so does the Sukkah. Oh, you know what? I'm just making a condition now that Hashem is wrong and I'm right. What, what is that? That doesn't even make any sense. So Amar of Menasya, Bereidu Rabba, Seifa, Asa on the Sukkah de Alma. No, we were talking about a Sukkah de Alma. We were not talking about uh, a halachic Sukkah for the holiday of Sukkah, Aval Sukkah de Mitzvah, Lomahani Batna. You're right. You're absolutely right. Of course, the Pasuk and Chumash is correct. And just like a Korban Chagiga has Kedusha, so too the walls of a halachic Sukkah have Kedusha, and your Tanai does absolutely nothing. Says the Gemara, that's not true. The Sukkah de Mitzvah, lo, we have a Brisa. That tells us that if you have a, your kavana, that the sukkah should not be muksa, then it's in fact not muksa. What does the Gemara say? Two thirds of the white line, two thirds of the way down. Vatanya, the Brisa writes, 
you build a perfect sukkah. Be'itra, and you decorated it, be'kramim, with decorated sheets and artwork, with a sadina, mitzuyarim, drawings, betalabaya, gozim, shkeitan, afarsekim, you uh, hang nuts and, uh, and, uh, and almonds and peaches, be'rimon and pomegranates, uparchile, anavim, branches of uh, clusters of grapes, yenos, wines, shimanim, oils, vesiltos, flowers, be'itros, shibolim, sheaves of, uh, of grain, you're doing great. The sukkah is beautiful. The halacha is, you're not allowed to benefit from it at all. And then says the Mishnah, the incriminating line. It's a brysa, actually. The brysa says, So you tried to give me an answer a couple of lines ago that you're right. No, really, when it comes to sukkah on sukkahs, you're not allowed to benefit from it. The only time a condition works is when it's a, it's a hut, but not a halachic sukkah. What do we see in this b'risa? But what about our question from before? That if, in fact, we make an equation between a korban chagiga and a sukkah, just like a korban chagiga has kedusha, so to a sukkah has kedusha. So what's hakol And This is not talking about a sukkah de alma. It's not talking about a regular hut. This is talking about a real sukkah. So says the Gemara, the only way that it will work, that a person's kavanos could undo the kedusha of a sukkah is, is as follows. They both say, From before sukkah starts, I am not taking my mind off of these things at all. I do not want them to have the sanctity of a sukkah. You are able to stop the kedusha train, provided that it was before the Yom Tov started. Then it works. But once sukkah starts, done. Then they have the same kedusha status of a korban chagiga. Is that true nowadays? What about what if you use it? What if you shouldn't have used it? All of the shadows that might come up. So that's what the Gemara doesn't discuss here. But that is what the Gemara answers. And then asks the Gemara, eight lines or so from the bottom of Laman Amabez, how is this different from the following case? We saw this in Maseches Sukkah. Yep, we saw this in Maseches Sukkah. Says the Gemara, seven esrogim, one for each day. The second you're yotze with it in the morning, you can make a bore priha eights and take a bite out of it. No problem at all. I don't recommend it. The peels are extremely thick on esrogim. You're just going to get a lot of vitamin C, but it's probably not going to taste very good. But nevertheless, mutter to eat. The Ravasi, even though he's the strict one, Omar Kol Achas Okay, you can't eat it today, but you can eat it tomorrow. Hold on one second. We just said that the kedusha of the sukkah once Benash Mashos begins and the kedusha is chal on that sukkah, then it's kadosh. Yet by the esrog, we don't see that. By an esrog, even according to the lenient opinions, according to the lenient opinions, you can eat it right away. And according to the strict opinions, you can't eat it till tomorrow. But it's not muksa for all Shiva. Why is that the case? So the Gemara answers on Laman Amabe's four lines from the bottom. Hasam over there in regards to the uh, halachic status of an esrog, the mifsuku lelos miyamim. There's a halachic difference between night and day. Because the mitzvah of Lulav and Esrog is only during the day. And therefore the nights interrupt. Each day is an isolated mitzvah. That's not true. There is no halachic difference between night and day as it relates to the sukkah. You can fulfill the mitzvah, the rites of eating in a sukkah, 
during the night, just like you can during the day. It is a 24-7 mitzvah, and it never goes away. There is no break for seven days. Therefore, kulo yom kechada. All of the days are seen like kechada yom arichta dami. They're all seen like one day. And that brings us to the mission at the top of Lamed Aleph, Lamed Aleph. Let's continue. If you have a field that is open, then you're allowed to bring in wood on Yom Tov if the wood has already been gathered. It's already in a pile. But if you have a space that's closed off, a carpave is a large unused space, but it's fenced in, then because it's fenced in, we can be more lenient. Even though it is spread out, you're still allowed to collect it. So in, an, in a field that is not enclosed, it has to be gathered first. In a field that's enclosed, you do not have it needed to be gathered first. You can collect it. All of that is the shita of the Tanakama of Rabbi Yehuda. Let's finish his shita ezu karpev. How do we define a karpev? It's like, um, I don't know what the equivalent would be, like an unused parking lot. And nobody uses it, but it's enclosed. So that unused parking lot, uh, there, the, the property uh, right on the corner of Jarlath. Albany and Jarlath, it is a fenced off property that somebody owns that nobody, that's a car pave. That's a car pave. It's in the city and nobody uses it and it's a closed off space. Rabbi Yossi, three lines down in the Lamed Aleph, Lamed Aleph, the Mishnah writes, Rabbi Yossi, Omer, kol no, it, your measure is not about whether or not the field is enclosed. The measure is whether or not you enter the space with a key. Even if it's within Tchum Shabbos, that is the only parameter. What we don't know is if these two shitas engage one another or if they're mutually exclusive of one another. And that's going to be a question that the Gemara will frame for us shortly. The Gemara here opens with a line that makes no sense at all. Amar of Yehuda Shmuel and Amora. He says something that is blanketly against our Mishnah. Our Mishnah uh, had taught us a halacha that when something is in a carpave, that it does not need to be mechunas. If you have a carpave, a closed off space, and you want to collect twigs, they don't need to first be in a pile. What does Rabbi Huda Shmuel say? He says that when it's a carpave, they have to be gathered in a pile. That's the exact opposite of what our Mishnah said. Our Mishnah said that when they're in a carpave, they don't have to be gathered. Who is Rabbi Huda Marshmuel to argue on a Tana? Totally inappropriate. So says the Gemara, what's our problem? Our Mishnah says, not like you, Rabbi Huda Marshmuel. Our Mishnah says, when it's a Karpev, it can even be spread out. So how can Rabbi Huda say that by a Karpev, it, 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 it has to be gathered? That's not correct. So says the Gemara, Masnisin, our Mishnah, Yechida'ahi. Our Mishnah is the exception and not the rule, but seemingly the general uh, thrust of the Tanayim was the other way. To Tanya, what does the Brisa write? Amarib Shimon ben Elazar, lo nechleku Everyone agrees that when it comes to that which is scattered in a field, in an open field, everyone agrees she'en mevien, she'en mevien. And also, and everyone agrees as well that when it comes to that which is mechunas, which is in a pile in a karpev, so then mevin. What does this brisa say? The machlokas says about we're one third of the way down. What if you have? Right, we're talking about two features. We're talking about enclosed and not enclosed, and we're talking about gathered and not gathered. So says the Gemara. What if you have mefuzarin shebekarfev? It's spread out, but it's in an enclosed space. Or ala mechunasin that which is gathered, but it's shebesados. And there we have our machlokas shebeshamay omrim lo yavi uveisilol omrim yavi. So that's why Rabbi Yehuda Marshmuel actually had a Mari Makom to rely upon. This brisa was the Mari Makom to rely upon. 
So some of the Mepharshim are bothered by this because why would Rabbi Huda Hanasi bring a Mishnah as a Das Yachid? Why wouldn't he have included the mainstream Shita of Beis Shammai and Beis Hila? So that's a question that requires some research. We're one third of the way down on Lamed Aleph and Aleph says the Gemara, Omar Rava, Alei Kanim ve'alei Gefanim, you have leaves uh, of reeds and you have leaves of, uh, of Gefanim from grapevines. Afal gav even though they're all gathered, and they're sitting in a pile. Since, had it been that there was a wind, that the wind would disperse that which was gathered, this is the equivalent of all of the leaves falling off of the trees. You grabbing a rake and putting them all together comes along one gust of a Chicago wind, and your pile is no longer a pile. So that's what the Gemara is doing here, is trying to define what's considered a pile. If you have a field, everyone agrees that the only way you could bring in twigs in a field is if they're all gathered in a pile. So we only define that pile based on how well-established the pile is. If the wind is going to ruin it, then it doesn't count. And if you placed a weight on top of it, no problem. So then... Uh, that would work. That brings us to the two dots halfway down. And this is going to be our last sugya for the day. And we'll stop at the Mishnah, four lines from the bottom. Let's learn our last sugya for the night. Says the Gemara, we had defined a karpev as samuch. What exactly is going on here? Our Mishnah had said, that in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, that a karpev is that which is close to the city. And Rabbi Yossi has seemingly a difficult to understand shita. So what is it? Do we say, Do we say that even the Tanakhama, Rabbi Yehuda, would say that samuch means it's close to the city and it has a lock, has a lock in Kianit? And then, what's Rabbi Yossi coming to argue in our Mishnah? He's expanding the shita of the Tanakhama to say that as long as they're within a Tchum Shabbos and as long as it has a key, no problem at all. Oh, Dilma, or perhaps the Machlokes in our Mishnah is different. Maybe what we would say is Hachi Kamar. I don't care about the key at all says Rabbi Huda. It's just a question of smicha, just closeness to the city. The Asr, Rabbi Yossi, the Meymar, and Rabbi Yossi comes to add, no, I disagree with you. That if there's a key, then within Tchum Shabbos, then, then, it's a, then that's what's considered maybe he would agree. So what is the answer to our Mishnah? How do we understand the Machlokas, Rabbi Huda, and Rabbi Yossi? And the Gemara answer is Toshma. Let's see. A very clear answer. The Brisa says eight lines or so, seven lines from the bottom of the page. Because Rabbi is taught in the Brisa as saying, Omer, he says, so now we have a brisa that supports one of our understandings of the Mishnah. The Rabbi is able to couple two things together, that it has to be Samuch and it also has to have a key, and then it is considered Samuch Amar of Salah, how do we paskin? Amar of Yirmiya, halacha ki That we paskin like Rabbi in a lenient way. That brings us to this last Mishnah on the page, which we will pick up with on Shabbos. On Shabbos, we'll learn Amir Tzashem. And as well, back to our regular schedule. Wishing you all a beautiful night. I have a question.